Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition, a Black Friday day after Thanksgiving edition of Texans All Access. I know many of you are out there celebrating Black Friday deals and sales and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully you're safe. You are warm, not wet like we were in Tennessee last week, and you are enjoying yourself and being kind to one another. I can't emphasize that enough to be kind to one another at this holiday season, but I appreciate you being here for Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and we've got a lot to do. We're going to hear from David Culley, Tyrod Taylor, Jimmy Morrissey, David Fletcher, Jimmy Morrissey again, also my keys to the game, and my game prediction straight up and against the spread brought to you by Caesars Rewards for every way you play. lot to do. So let's start the way we always do on a Friday with our good pal, the head coach of your Houston Texans, David Culley, who gave a little game preview to the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Coach, before we get into the game itself, how was the week of preparation for you at Thanksgiving? I know you cut that day, not shorter, but you changed the way you arranged the day and you're ready to go for the Jets. Uh, Mark, it was a normal week for us. Mm -hmm. The only thing we did, we adjusted Thanksgiving practice Mm -hmm. on Thursday simply because we wanted to give our players and our coaches time at home to, to be able to enjoy the Thanksgiving day. But it was a normal practice, normal week, other than we know on Friday, what ends up happening is that guys have put in a bunch of food. Coaches have put in a bunch <laughs> of food. And the energy level has to be picked up. We really got to do a good job of coaching to get them back. And right. the same thing with us as coaches and with those guys as players. But it was basically a normal week, except it ended up being having time with your family for a whole half a day on Thanksgiving. Well, you've talked about all season long how you like the temperament of this team, win or lose. But coming off a victory, is there something extra that you sense in the prep for the next one up? Well, there's, the psyche is, is better. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you feel it. And, and, and having it been a while since we had had that feeling. Uh, but, Mark, as far as the preparation, the preparation was the same. The same energy was there. But you kind of feel it. You feel it as a coach. You know, you feel, you, you feel better about things. But here's the thing about – when you win sometimes when you win games things get masked in other words mm. you know there are things that although you won the ball game there was like five or six things in that ball game that could have flipped the game around that you got to make sure you correct when you win sometimes as a coach and as a player you kind of go over those things and and kind of forget that those things happen where when you lose those kind of games like that then you isolate on those things. You do that. So you have to do the same things after a win. Sometimes we're a little more in tune with things after a win than we are after a loss for that reason. Coach, in passing yards per game, top 16 teams, everybody is above 500 except for the Jets. They're ninth. And I know they've used multiple quarterbacks, but it appears that's one thing they do well that you have to be ready for, their aerial attack. It's very good. And, you know, obviously starting with the rookie quarterback that they have who we're going to see this week, they do a good job of throwing the football. That's part of who they are. They're very good at it. They've got good weapons. That's part of their philosophy of how they do things, and uh, I expect them to continue to do that same thing. And I know with your offense, you're looking to run the ball better. We've talked about that plenty of times. But you're coming off a game in which you finally got into the end zone on the road. You had some positives there. But I know you're trying to improve on that side of the football. And that goes back to what I said about when you win games, things get masked. We did not run the ball as well in that game as we'd like to. We ran it as much as we'd like to. We Mm -hmm. just need to run it better, Mark. And and when you run it better, uh, obviously the passing game becomes better. It becomes more consistent. 
and uh, whether the quarterback is scoring it or the backs are doing it on the runs or whatnot or getting out of the pocket, extending plays, the fact that you're, you're, you have to defend that is so important in people being able to stop what you do. And you haven't been home in a while, and here you are back at NRG, and it's Salute to Service Day, and I know you wear the gear and everything. So many people love this theme day for so many reasons. Well, the reasons, hey, the reasons why we're able to do what we do mm. and enjoy life the way we enjoy life in this country is because of those servicemen and service women that have served this uh, nation. And my father and my uncle, one was Korean War and the other one was World War II, and they never, never let me forget why you're able to do the things that you're doing right now is because of the people that have served, people that have uh, lost their lives for us to be able to do what we do, and it's very special. Amen, coach, and very, very well said. All right, injury report. we got to get our status report in. It's not lengthy, which is good. The Texans only have one player out. We knew this was coming. Jordan Jenkins will not play against his former team. He is out. Davion Davis missed practice today for the second day. He is questionable, but limited participants today practice. Nico Collins, Jonathan Grenard, Lonnie Johnson, those three are questionable for this one. For the Jets, we mentioned this. Michael Carter is out with that sprained ankle. Limited participants. Corey Davis, starting receiver. Folu Fatakasi, defensive lineman. John Franklin Myers, Shaq Lawson, C.J. Mosley, Nathan Shepard, five guys in that front seven. They're all questionable along with Davis. So two players out. We knew both of those were out at the beginning of the week. We'll keep an eye on who else is out as we move a little bit closer to Sunday kickoff at noon at NRG Stadium. Thankfully, a guy that is in is Tyrod Taylor, and he did a little deep slant interview with D.P. Sidhu. Great to see you back out on the field again. I think one of my favorite pictures is going to forever be this season, you diving over the pile with the rain and uh, you getting that touchdown on the road against Tennessee. Yeah, well, that was definitely a fun game to be a part of. Obviously didn't plan on jumping, but that's, <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes in the game uh, when you're just in the moment and competing and doing whatever it takes to, to get the team in the end zone. I was just going to ask you that. At what point were you scrambling? You thought, you know what, now would be a good time to dive over, guys. Um, I really just took the chances. I figured most DBs go low, so I was just kind of reading his body language, and it looked like he was preparing to, to either try to chop me or go at my feet, and I just tried to jump. I wanted to clear him, but um, it was probably a good thing that he grabbed my foot because I probably would have flipped and fell on my head or something. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely don't want to see that. I, I, I got to admit, I cringed a little bit when you dove, but then once you scored, it was like, that was great. We'd love to see that again. Just uh, stay healthy. Your mobility is something that everyone sort of talked about before you even took to the field. And David Culley, who remembered you, obviously from your time in Buffalo, said he thought you looked even faster this year than you did back then. So as a quarterback, there's so many different aspects of your game you have to work on, but how do you work on mobility? How do you work on your speed? Uh, well, just, I mean – taking training in the offseason series. I mean, obviously understanding that that's part of my game. Um, actually, when Coach Cully, when we were together, I was coming off of a growing surgery, so it could be true that I am more explosive this year. Like I said, it was just detail in, in the preparation in the offseason and trusting the guys um, in the weight room here in season and just taking care of your body, doing the right thing. You don't just wake up like, I'm fast. I can just once do upon it. A, once upon a time. Once upon a time. Now you got to work on it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the other things about you, your interceptions per pass attempt, it's one of the lowest in the league. 1.5% of your pass attempts have ended in interception. That's something that a lot of people talk about, your ability to protect the ball. Aaron Rodgers is the lowest at 1.3%. 
How does that sort of come about over the course of your career, learning not to throw interceptions? I mean, is that something that's just a learned skill, a learned trait? Do you have to focus time on it, or is it just a matter of how you play the game? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's definitely how I play the game, but I think just learning um, over the years, just the, the winning formula. I mean, obviously, no self-inflicted mistakes, and that's turnovers is part of that, as well as uh, penalties and trying to keep those at minimum um, definitely helps. I remember back in my early days and getting drafted to Baltimore, we had a very strong defense and a lot of talent on offense as well, too. But I remember having conversations with Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and those guys, and just the defensive mindset. When you have a strong defensive unit, just sometimes it's it's okay to end the, end the drive and whether it's a field goal or a punt. I mean, obviously not giving the ball back to the other team, shortening the field. Sometimes you got to play more of a game management game, and then sometimes when you have to go out there and take those risks, um, and give you guys opportunities to make plays. So it's a it's a little bit of balance, yeah, that goes in it. That being said, the Miami game, everyone talked about how that was so uncharacteristic. How about for you mentally? Because you end on that game, and then you've got this long stretch of a bye week where that's sort of the last thing sitting in your memory. But you come out against Tennessee, and it's like a, a distant memory for you. For you personally, how do you overcome a tough game like that and, and turn the page to the next game and not let that really linger in your mindset? Yeah, I mean – Honestly, as a competitor, um, anytime you lose, it's tough. You beat yourself up about it. I'm probably one of my, or not one of my, I'm my biggest critic. My parents will tell you that, the coaches will tell you that. So obviously, getting the bad taste out of your mouth, you want to play the next week. We had a bye week, so you had a, I had a chance to process it, learn from it, and make sure that I put it behind me. Um, didn't let it linger until the, the next week. So I think that's just all about being a professional. Understand it's going to be ups and downs. Um, on your personal journey, but also in your athletic career. And if you stay focused on uh, what you set out to do at the beginning of the season, um, you can stay laser-focused on the ultimate goal, which is winning each and every week, and putting yourself in a position to do that. And if you're thinking about the past, you, you can't be your best self moving forward. All right, a little bit about your past. You grew up in Hampton, Virginia, and I heard somewhere in an interview that you did a long time ago that Allen Iverson is like a big brother to you because you guys both grew up in the same in the yeah. same town. So what did you learn from Allen Iverson growing up? Um, I mean, obviously he was just about every every athlete my age. I mean, growing up watched Allen Iverson. They seen the braids, they seen the swag on the on the court. I've seen him on the football field as well too. Just uh, I mean, all around baller. Just the swag that he took with him, him being himself each and every day, just was unique. And I mean, if you know people from my area, then we definitely take those conversations and we take the way he played, the way Vic played, other guys. I won't continue to keep naming, but it's a ton of guys. And we just take those, I guess, just looked at them and put them as a focus, more so to say, when I was, when we were younger, just trying to be like those guys and make plays and do what we could for our team. Well, you're really well respected in the NFL as well. I feel like every time I hear any sort of commentator or former player talk about you, they always say, Tyrod Taylor, my guy. In fact, I, I think it was Nate Burleson after your first your first start, he said, that's my guy. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know is, because you're obviously not like a loud, rah-rah guy. You're sort of soft-spoken. You're, you know, you're very thoughtful in, in what you say. How are you everyone's guy? Like, how do you make that connection? Um, I don't know. I mean, Nate is a great, great, great dude. I think it's just a respect level. Obviously, we've crossed paths, and I've crossed paths with, in my 11 years as a professional with many guys and even guys that I played against in college they went on to be professionals but just a respect level always treating people with respect and I mean ultimately game recognize game I mean regardless of how things shape out game recognize game 
Game recognized game, and I, I think that could also be said for your fashion. We've really enjoyed some of your game day looks. Uh, how do you? How would you describe your fashion personality? Um, I'm, I don't know. It's tough to describe it. I actually had that question years ago. Um, I'm just being me. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not very outspoken. Um, so sometimes when it comes to fashion, you let the outfit uh, or your look speak for you. I think it just boils down to just being confident in whatever you wear. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And you seem to pull that off well. Who shops for you? Do you shop for yourself? Yeah. And you do. Yeah, more, do. So you get to keep the clothes that you purchase? Yeah. That is that is a huge plus. All right, so how do you think your fashion has evolved over the years? I think it's evolved with time. I mean, I don't I don't want to say I'm trendy. Um, like I said, if, if anything, it's, it's something that just <clears throat> puts my personality together. Not necessarily, like I said, an over outspoken person, but... I speak through my outfits, and like I said, I don't. All right, well. I, I like getting dressed. I mean, all right, well, I'm going to take you down memory lane. This is um, Tyrod Taylor circa October-ish yeah. 2015. Back when I was on the suit wave. Yeah, you did a lot of suits and three-piece suits, which yeah. don't seem super comfortable on a plane. I actually have a story about why I wore so many suits. Why? Um, so when I first signed there, obviously Rex Ryan was the head coach. I was coming from Baltimore. Rex Ryan was coming from New York. And he told me, I mean, at the time, obviously – Buffalo is not necessarily a bigger market. Obviously, they've got more notoriety now because of them doing well the past couple of seasons. But he was saying that anytime you get a chance to be in front of a camera in Buffalo, make sure you present yourself well. And at the time, it was my first year, got the starting job. And I was like, you know what? I want to do 15 different suits or 16 different suits and end up going with 16 different suits that year. So I have a ton of suits at, at home. <laughs> a ton. That's a lot next, of suits. Yeah. Next year I did 16 new ones too. That is a great story, Tyrod Taylor. Now, maybe he can teach Jimmy Morrissey something because Jimmy is going to teach Drew something, which Drew's dozen next right here on Texans All Access. Since All Access. Since All Access. I know we've got some really big fans out there today, but I got to give some props to today's biggest Houston Texas fan, and that's Dykin. These guys are doing big things. In our city of Houston, from comfort and convenience to air quality, Dykins Innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Dykin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Learn more at perfectingtheair.com. It is Dykin. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time for a little Drew's Dozen with Jimmy Morrissey, the rookie center who has started the last couple of weeks, sat down with Drew Doherty. This should be pretty interesting with Drew and Jimmy. Let's go. Jimmy Morrissey, center for the Houston Texans, is with us. Jimmy, let's rank the five Jimmys. You got Jimmy Morrissey, you got Jimmy Carter, the president, Jimmy Buffett, Jimmy John Sandwiches, and Jimmy Eat World. What's the ranking? How do they go one through five? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, what was the first one? Jimmy Carter, president. All right, president. Okay, pre- president, you're, that's pretty high-level stuff. Okay, over so, Jimmy Buffett and Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, yeah I'll, go over, I'll go over him and then uh, Jimmy... What was it? Jimmy John's? Yep. I'm going to go Jimmy John's number two. Number two, okay. They have some good hoagies. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, uh, Jimmy World, mm-hmm. Jim, then Jimmy Buffett. And then what was the fifth one? You, man. Oh, me. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put me five. Modest Jimmy Morrissey. There you go. Well, that's good. That's good. It's always 
you guys either when I when I do this and I do these rankings sometimes it's either they either go first or they go fifth. And there's never an in between. I don't think I've ever had anybody go like, "Oh, I'm two or I'm three. So it's <laughs> interesting to hear. Okay, you played at Pitt. Yeah. Pitt has pumped out some of the greatest football players the game has ever seen. You can go back Dan Marino, Mike Ditka, Revis Island, Larry Fitzgerald, Bill Fralick. I'm leaving people out. There's lots and lots. Did you say Aaron Donald? I didn't say Aaron Donald. How could I have forgotten uh, Aaron boy, Donald? AD, yeah, Larry Fitz. Uh, this weekend we're playing the Jets. Curtis Martin, Hall of Famer. Tony Dorsett. Hall Tony Dorsett was the one I forgot. So Jimbo Covert, Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're like top five in Hall Yeah. It's a pipeline for the pros. You're from Pennsylvania. How cool was it to get to actually suit up there and play really well for them? When you had, you, you could have gone some other places. You had scholarship offers. You, you're like, I'm going to be a preferred walk-on. I'm going here. I want to play here. Oh, it was amazing. I uh, I really never grew up a college fan of mm-hmm. anything. I, if anything, I was probably a Villanova basketball fan growing up in right. the Philly area. When it came time to choose a college, uh, I had a couple FCS offers that were, you know, half scholarship. And I just love Pitt, and I love the relationship I have with all the coaches there and fell in love with the place from the first day. So it, it meant everything to be able to, you know, prove myself right and then prove those people that believed in me to go play four years there. So it was awesome. Yeah, and you were all ACC. I mean, you played just about every game. You got injured. You came back. You win the Burlesworth Trophy, which is, if you don't know about it, it's such an awesome award. It's given to a player who was started their career as a walk-on and you got that trophy, and you've got some cool stuff on your Instagram about it. You talked about it last week in the press conference. You know, how, how meaningful is that to you? Because it says a lot about who you are, that you persevere. It, it definitely does. It's an incredible award. I'm really you know, grateful for the Burlesworth family who I've gotten close with over, I guess, the past year now. The Burlesworth is about to hand out their new award mm-hmm. for this coming year. It, it's amazing. Brandon Burlesworth's story is incredible, tragic, but really inspiring what he was able to do. And it's really a testament to all walk-ons of what they have to go through and then to accomplish and achieve success. Yeah. I heard a really cool story about you after the win in Miami. John Harris, who does the radio sideline reporting, he saw he was in the, you know, in the locker room, outside the locker room. He saw our film guys cutting things up and getting things ready for the, the tablet. So you guys can actually analyze, you know, the game tape and everything afterwards on the plane home. And they said you were he said you were kind of waiting and just kind of checking like nicely in a, in, a, in a polite way like hey uh you know is it is it almost time you think i can get it and they're like yeah yeah yeah, we're gonna get it to you film work is important why has it been so important to you i i, I love watching film it's uh you know it's my job so yeah but my you know my film study and my preparation have gotten me this far so don't want to stop now it's just always been a tradition ever I, my first game i started at Pitt. always watch the the ipad copy version of uh the film I used to get after every game and just watch it immediately. And it's what all the other guys do too. I just <laughs> nice that I guess he was there and saw that, but how'd you get good at that though? It's, it's not something you just start doing just you know? time experience. Was really. it high school? Was it was no college, college really? Yeah. I, 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 we watched minimal film in in, in high school, but yeah. in college really was when it started and, you know, watch it on your iPad. And then I prefer to not watch it on my iPad. I like the clicker and the having the computer and monitor in front of me. So, I really don't watch much on my iPad except for right after the games. And right. I just watch it here. I like it's kind of because you have to because you're on a plane and it's, the space exactly. is limited and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Have you picked up much game or film work, uh, film analysis, any tips since you got here to Houston? Anybody really good at it that you, oh, I didn't know that you could do that, blah, 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 you know, something like that? Yeah, just everyone in the building, especially, you know, in the NFL, everyone, sometimes Coach Kelly will come in or Coach Camp and they'll just say stuff like, oh, we picked up this. And I'm like, man, I feel like I'm watching a lot of film. 
and I did not pick that up. Right. And then you go and watch, and you're like, man, I, there's a reason why they're getting paid a lot of money to be a coach, and <laughs> they're good at what they do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. So Thanksgiving obviously is on Thursday. What's uh, what's on that perfect Thanksgiving plate for you? Turkey, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mashed potatoes. Okay. Stuffing. Gravy on the mashed potatoes. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get there. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> and sorry. then we're gonna go green bean casserole. Uh huh. I just started liking sweet potatoes now, so I'll put some a lot of carbs, and then yeah, we're just home style. Put the gravy on all over it, huh? And then I'll mix it up and cut it up. And what's the dessert? Ah, uh, that's a good. Usually, I, I'm I'm not a big pie guy. No, and that'll surprise people because I'm an O lineman. But just a nice thing of vanilla ice cream really will do. That's the, it. We'll do the trick. Yeah, kind of calm. That's uh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> Oh, mac and cheese. I forgot mac and cheese. Yeah, everybody loves mac. Well, not everybody because there's been some debate here on the internet. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, yeah. I don't know how it's not a Thanksgiving. I yeah. love mac and cheese. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of year-round, really, but uh, yeah. And, he, and his reasoning was just noodles and cheese, but it's like mashed potatoes are just potatoes and what? Yeah. Butter. Well, it's like, like saying well, every... steak is just meat. Yeah, okay. turkey is just a turkey. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Come up with a better uh, support for your argument there. Okay, favorite exercise in the weight room, least Favorite exercise in the favorite room. exercise in the weight room. I'm gonna go with one of the ones that we since I've been here. Uh, probably bench. All right. And then least favorite squat after a game day. <laughs> Squats, huh? After a game day. After, after a game, game day. day. Okay. Yeah, well, that's good to know. What's the greatest invention ever? Air conditioning. You're the second person that said air conditioning. Your second player that's ever said that. I sweat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're big, and you're gonna sweat some more down here, man. You got here kinda when it's not too bad, but uh the weather's been beautiful now. But, it has. Yeah. It has. It has you've been you've been very fortunate in that regard. Okay, the last meal you cooked was I have not cooked a meal since the spring. Really? Eating at all the or no, okay, summer. In the summer I was when I was training on my own was ground bison, a little bit of bone broth, some spinach, and then put it over a thing of plate of rice. That would be like my lunch after working out was this in las vegas when you were with the raiders was no, this back in this was when i was home for the summer up in outside of philly or yes yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yep yeah so when i was home it's just a really easy meal to eat and wow. it's a lot of food and it's good ground bison's good for you so ground bison all right yeah not bad what would your job be if you were not playing nfl football what would you be doing probably doing construction with construction? my family yeah my okay. dad what sort of construction roadway material roadway. supply yeah concrete was that your first job? Were you doing some of that, or was it something I else? Did, my first job was working in the mechanic shop. So, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. For working on concrete trucks. we got to wrap this up. Jimmy Morsey, it's been great meeting with you. You were kind of worried. You thought I might ask you about octopus tentacles and stuff like that, <laughs> but I went a different way. I zigged and zagged, didn't I? <laughs> you did. We brought up Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Eat World. And, I've yeah. never had that before. Yeah, that was uh, good. I feel good. Rank the Jimmys. Rank the Jimmys, man. So Are those the four best Jimmys, you think? They're not the four best. They're just uh, they're the four that first came to mind so if you have other jimmies you want jimmy rollins is philadelphia philly jimmy rollins jay roll jimmy rollins would probably i might put jimmy rollins over jimmy carter okay i love the 2008 phillies that's a lovable team they won the 2009 tie. phillies broke my heart yeah ryan howard cole hamels uh i mean cliff I, lee Roy holiday yeah sheesh All the boys. shane victorino Carlos yeah. yeah they had a good that was a good squad who's your favorite baseball player ever Probably Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard? I loved yeah. Ryan Howard growing up, yeah. Yeah. Because so, I was like a bigger kid, so I played first base. And mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan Howard was the What did you think of Ryan Howard on The Office? What episode was that? 
Oh, so you didn't watch it? No, no, I love The Office, but I... I'm like Ryan Howard was Ryan. Oh. Because <laughs> his name was I Ryan Howard, too. Because yeah. of film, or Scranton. I didn't know if they actually had <laughs> Ryan Howard on. The baseball player was in the show, I think, once or twice. But, yeah, I was talking about... I'm like, not a big fan of Ryan Howard on The Office, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Him and... Uh, not a very good guy. Him and Mindy. or yeah. what, what was her name in the show? Uh, shoot. You just totally... Kelly Kapoor. Kelly Kapoor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I like the office. All right. Yeah. Jimmy, thanks so much. Best of luck, and we'll do this again sometime soon, okay? Drew, thanks for having me. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Right out of the shoot. Give me your best Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy's like, whoa, 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 hold on, man. What just hit me? That was fun stuff with Jimmy Morrissey and, of course, our good friend Drew Doherty. All right, we get back. It's time for my keys to the game. Holla Texans get win number two in a row and win number three in the season. Well, that's what I'm going to tell you next right here on Texans All Access. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you. And I want to remind you, for all kids out there, register those kids ages 12 and under to become a Toros Kids Club member for free. F-R-E-E. Sing it after me. And submit their holiday wish list for their chance to be granted at least one item off of their list from Santa Toro. Learn more at HoustonTexans.com. I think those two words, I might like more than free. Santa Toro. Go get it done. HoustonTexans.com. Register those kids ages 12 and under. And I know my man Drew Doherty is doing that for his kids to see. And I don't, but I don't know if they can win though. But he still should do it. Submit your holiday wish list for a chance to be granted at least one item off of that list from Santa Toro. All right, it's that time of the show. I do this every single week, minus last week, because, well, there was no game, so I didn't have any keys to the game. But this week there is a game, so I have keys to the game to a win over the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. So let's do it. Cue up my music, and let's go. All right, the Jets. Let's start with the Jets offense, the Texans defense. It's a Jets group that runs for 78.9 yards per game. That's 29th in the NFL. They throw for 258.8. That's 9th in the NFL. 337.7 yards per game. Total offense, 21st. However, they've lost 23 turnovers, five fumbles, 18 interceptions. Now, a couple of things stand out. Number one, that passing yards per game, that total went up, 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 up when Mike White and Joe Flacco were in the lineup. Zach Wilson's not had quite that sort of acumen at 258.8 for his starts. Zach Wilson, the rookie, should be back, will be back because there's no Flacco and there's no Mike White. Joe Flacco and Mike White both on COVID-19 reserve list. As of right now, Flacco's out. He's not vaccinated. He can't make it back. He's got the 10-day close contact situation. Mike White, I believe, is the one who tested positive. He could come back. He is vaccinated. He's got to get a couple of tests. It doesn't appear that's going to happen. So it sounds like it went from Joe Flacco and Mike White to Zach Wilson and Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson, the former Texan who played here and was kind of in and out for a year here with the Houston Texans. So let's get to it. The keys to the game. This is an offense 
that's still trying to find its sea legs. But they've got some young talent, and it starts at receiver, the Ocho, number eight, and Elijah Moore. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was a superstar Ole Miss. We talked a lot about him in the lead-up to the 2021 NFL Draft. He was the third pick overall in the second round. Through the first five games of the season, he had nine receptions. He was targeted just 26 times in those games. I say just. That's six and a half targets per game. After those first five games, he was targeted 37 times. That's 7.4 targets. So he went up almost a full target per game in those next four weeks. In the first four weeks, like I said, he caught nine passes total. He had eight last week against the Dolphins for 141 yards, including a 62-yarder that I drew up for Telestrator. You can see that KPRC Game Day uh, Channel 2, what I drew up and what I saw, and I like the way the Jets, just from a football standpoint, I like the way the Jets set that up. I don't like seeing it in an opponent that the Texans are facing because it was very well-schemed and very well-executed. Now, that was Joe Flacco throwing to Elijah Moore. This would be Zach Wilson throwing to Elijah Moore. Now, I didn't mean for it to be this way because I do think Zach Wilson to Elijah Moore is going to be a great connection in the future. Hopefully not Sunday. But those first few games, they, Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore, could not get linked up. Only nine catches in those games. These catches came from Mike White and Joe Flacco. They really set it off. So what happens with Wilson back in? My guess is they will try and force feed Elijah Moore, even though they weren't connecting earlier this year. I think they will go to him. Moore is already the best offensive player on the Jets. That's not Makai Becton. Elijah Vera Tucker is extremely good up front. Makai Becton won't play. Elijah Moore is the best offensive threat, best offensive weapon. He is the most explosive weapon. He's the kind of guy they're going to build around in New York, uh, New Jersey, because of what Elijah Moore can do. The Texans must limit his explosive abilities. No explosives with Elijah Moore. That's a pretty good start. Number two, I mentioned Zach Wilson. He is back. He is, boy, what's the right way of saying this? He can be explosive, if that's the right word for a quarterback. And what I mean by that is he has a whip for an arm, so he can make any throw on a field. I'm really excited to see him. I don't know if that knee injury will set him back at all. If he's trying to come back too early, uh, who knows? But Zach Wilson's, I think, biggest trait and best trait is the fact that he can throw off schedule and off platform as well as anybody. He would roll right at BYU and fire one back to the middle of the field and throw it on a dime. I don't want that happening. I want to keep him in the well, and I want to make Zach Wilson have to throw from there. He's not the tallest guy. He's 6'2 and a half, so he's not short. But I want to make him throw from the well, make him throw through all those bodies, and then let that pass rush collapse on top of him without him getting out and making plays off platform. Keep Zach Wilson in the well. The best friend of a rookie quarterback is a run game. But who's going to run it for the Jets? Major question. Michael Carter, running back out of North Carolina, rookie running back out of North Carolina, was injured last week. Now, he didn't go on IR because the thought is it's two to four weeks. that You put him on IR, it's at least three weeks. They didn't want to do that, so they'll just make him inactive for the game. But it's a big miss this week against the Texans. So who runs it? Ty Johnson, 
He's the, been the backup. Tevin Coleman has breakaway speed. They have home run of hitting ability. But they're averaging 73 yards per game on the ground. And that was with Carter. So what are Johnson and Coleman going to do? That's a big question for the Jets. The Texans have the opportunity to completely and totally eliminate the run game and put it all on a rookie quarterback's shoulders. That's a nice place to be. But they have to do that. And they have to be respectful of the speed Johnson and Tevin Coleman have and not blow an assignment, not be gap responsible, and let them blow through a wide open hole because somebody's stepping in the wrong gap and they steal a touchdown or a long play. Eliminate the run game because that's what should happen. And last and certainly not least, this offensive line for the Jets. I mentioned Elijah Vera Tucker. Very good player. He's on, he's on pace to being another Zach Martin with the New York Jets. They traded up in the first round to go get him to help protect Zach Wilson. They expected Mekhi Becton to be back, but Becton's been injured and not going to be there for this particular game. ABT is good. Everybody else, big massive question mark. Why is that important? Because can they stop the Texans' pass rush? The Texans last week rushed four, got to the quarterback. They rushed five, bringing guys like Zach Cunningham and Kamu Grugier-Hill doing some cross-dogging in the middle. They got to the quarterback. So the Texans don't blitz a ton. In fact, they've only blitzed, if I remember correctly, seeing 58 times. That's 58 times through 10 games. That's not even six a game. And when I'm talking about blitz, I'm just bringing five. I think that's the way they're counting a blitz statistically. So they haven't brought a lot of blitz, and they have disrupted the quarterback because they've won one-on-one battles, because it's been schemed up with some nice TE stunts, some nice loop stunts in front, uh, loops and stunts in front, and they've gotten to the quarterback. Malik Collins has won one-on-one. John Grenard obviously has done it. They've won up front one-on-one. And without Mekhi Becton on the edge, they've got an opportunity to win again. That's what they have to do. The Jets' offensive line is going to be in for a long day if, in particular, the Jets can't run the football. All right, let's flip it over to the Jets' defense. Now, this is where I thought the Jets would have a distinct advantage this year. C.J. Mosley at linebacker, Quentin Williams up front, Fatu Kasi is a um, kind of a grinder type. John Franklin Myers, I thought was one of the more underrated players. He's kind of in that Nico Autry category. Nobody talks about him, but yet you watch that dude and you're like, whoa, that dude can play. And of course, he is a lumberjack from Stephen F. Austin, so that matters. What I worried about for them was, okay, how good is the secondary? Especially if Marcus May goes down and Marcus May went down. So they've been struggling to find pieces in the secondary. But what's been shocking in some sense is how Little they've done stopping the run. Teams are averaging 132 yards per game on the ground. That's 28th in the NFL. Passing yards are giving up 282.2 yards per game. That's last in the NFL. And in total offense, they're last in the NFL at 414.2 yards per game allowed. They've only generated eight turnovers, so they are minus 15 in turnover margin. That has been a killer. That has put that defense on the field way too often. C.J. Mosley has not been 100% healthy this year. And that's made it tough for this particular group. So let's get to the keys. Number one, I just mentioned a few of these names. But if there is a, if there's an issue as I look at facing this Jets defense, it's up front. 
and facing that defensive front. I mentioned Quentin Williams. I think he is a player on the rise still. He was the Jets' uh, first-round pick in 2019. He was number one overall in the Harris 100, and he shows a ton of flashes. They went out and signed Sheldon Rankins this year to go along with guys like Nathan Shepard, Folu Fatukasi, John Franklin Myers. They may not be names that you're used to hearing, but these guys can be pretty disruptive. They can be strong and hold the point of attack. I don't know how well they ultimately pass rush, but they should be a group that plays well together and play well together to stop the run better than they have. So it raises kind of red flags for me, like what's going on at this front hasn't found it yet, if that makes sense. It can be a problem, but hopefully the Texans render it a, well, a moot problem on Sunday with what other teams have been able to do, and that's run the ball. And we know the Texans haven't run it extremely well. I, I understand that. This front is not going to be the easiest to run against, even though the stats sort of go the other way. The Texans have to prove it. They got to go mano a mano against these guys up front and start winning some of those battles. And the backs have got to see holes, and they got to make their cuts accordingly. These Jets, this front is not Tennessee's front. Tennessee's front was outstanding. And the Texans held their own in the pass game. Didn't do much in the run game, but they did have some key runs, especially early on. They've got to control this front. It's really the best asset for the Jets. What's not the best asset is the secondary. The secondary has struggled mightily. They give up 282.2 yards per game through the air. Michael Carter starts, not running back Michael Carter, defensive back, rookie defensive back, Michael Carter. Yes, they drafted two Michael Carters in the same draft, one a running back, one a defensive back, both from the state of North Carolina, one from North Carolina, one from Duke. But they started Michael Carter at one corner, Bryce Hall at the other. They kind of moved some things around. The safeties have kind of been reconfigured because of the loss of Marcus May. That is not the secondary they wanted to have, and teams have taken advantage of it. Carson Wentz lit them up like a Christmas tree. Others have as well. Joe Burrow, even in a loss, lit them up as well. With all the moving parts of the secondary, I'm hoping this is an opportunity for this passing game. I don't want to say to get right, but to really kind of find a synergy and work together to put a good number on the board to really put pressure on that secondary, try and figure out how they're going to cover Brandon Cooks, if they're going to roll coverage, or they're going to leave Brandon to catch seven, eight balls, or if they're going to double cover Nico Collins. You know, could this be a big game for the rookie? What about the tight ends? How are they going to get the tight ends involved in this? So that secondary roundabout, as I call it, has been tough for the Jets to handle. And I think it's really played uh, a lot. It's, it's wreaked havoc, let's put it that way, on this Jets defense. The fact that the secondary has been such moving parts throughout this 2021 season. All right, number three. After the game on Sunday against the Titans, Mike Vrabel talked about something I thought was pretty important. He was asked about, hey, your defensive front's supposed to be so good. They got no hits on the quarterback. They had no sacks. There was actually only one quarterback hit, and that was from Elijah Molden, the safety. And Vrabel said something I thought was important. He said, hey, man, they just they took those opportunities away. They threw quickly. They moved the pocket. They ran the football. Uh, they ran football a lot. They were in RPO mode. They were not in a situation where they were going to put Tyrod Taylor back there 
to just stand back there and throw. But I think that philosophy works for Tyrod Taylor and for this offense. Move the pocket. I don't care how you do it with RPOs, with boots, with rollouts, whatever you do to get Tyrod off the spot, I'm fine with. Totally fine with. It gives Tyrod division. I think he throws pretty well off platform like Zach Wilson. I think moving the pocket is not a bad strategy to leave number five back there. I think just move him, get him out, get him vision, and let him sling, and let's go. Moving the pocket did pretty well for the Texans last week against the Titans. I could see it working again against the Jets. And the last one, and as soon as you hear it, and I mentioned it this morning with Seth Payne because we talked about each having a key to the game, and Seth said they've got to run the ball. And then he said something really important. He said, with the running backs. And Seth's point, without having to say it, is Tyrod Taylor's a big part of that quarterback Runs, design runs, scrambles. Hey, if you get 30 to 35 yards from Tyrod, you're going to feel pretty good about what he's given. What you need is a cool C note from your running backs. Rex Burkhead, David Johnson, and potentially Royce Freeman. If you can get some good play from those three running backs and get up near a C note where the Texans have not been this year, that's awesome. But if you don't, You've got to find ways to, quote-unquote, run the ball in different ways. Last week against Tennessee, that push pass to Chris Moore went for about nine yards. That was a run play, basically. The week before against Miami, Tyrod did a little boot, just a little flip, about a three-yard flip out to Chris Conley. That was a long toss play. There are you know, quick screens, tunnel screens. Those are, just, those are run plays just, design, just disguised as pass plays. So how can you, and I'm putting my fingers up in air quotes, run the ball if it's not a direct handoff, if it's not a design quarterback run? There are a few different things that you can do. Even just like a little stag route to Brandon Cooks. It's a throw. The ball goes in the air. It goes up as receiving yards. That's just a run play. That's just taking five, six yards with a quick toss, boom. Accurate, pretty safe, and it gets you five to seven yards. So... How can you run the ball differently with just out hand, without handing the ball off and doing a pass that's essentially a run? So you can run the ball in different ways. That's going to be something that, well, I always loved that part of the game, calling it, because I always felt like I had a few different wrinkles that weren't that risky that I could use that acted like a run play, even if it ended up being a pass. You follow what I'm saying. So those are your keys to the game. All right. There's a big game coming up January 4th, 2022, in our building at NRG Stadium. It is the Tax Act Texas Bowl. That is not the easiest thing to say. But the man who leads all of that is David Fletcher. We're going to talk a little college football with him and some possibilities for that Tax Act Texas Bowl from the Big 12 and SEC side next right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. We've got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And I just lied to you, actually. I mean, it's one hour down of Texans All Access, but it's really five hours down with one hour left to go because I was lucky enough to step in the studio this morning with Seth Payne from 6 to 10 on Sports Radio 610 
chop it up, talking some football, a little Carlos Correa, talking quarterbacks, Texans, talking a little bit of everything. And oh, by the way, I gave my Harris 100 top 10 from version 2 that'll be coming out next week. I'm jacked. So excited. Very, very excited. Which means I'm excited for this weekend from an NFL perspective, but I'm also pumped to talk a little college football with my man, David Fletcher, GM of LSSC, Lone Star Sports Entertainment. And, well, I don't even know if I want to give it away. I know it's already out there, but the Texas Bowl has a new sponsor, and I feel like my man David Fletcher should announce that before I say anything. Fletch, first of all, how you doing? Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for coming on the show, my man. And do you want to unveil the news, or you want me to do it, and we'll talk about it? No, of course, Johnny. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And I know it's a football-filled weekend for you, and uh, for us, much of the same. And we get to do it with some new friends for our new title sponsor at Tax Act. Uh, so it's uh, it's great to have a, a, an organization like, like Tax Act, one of the leaders in tax preparation space. They're coming in big, and fast and strong into college football tax act, Texas bowl here in Houston. They've got a number of other events that they are supporting this, uh, this bowl season and, um, and, and going to be a big part of, of making college football fans everywhere have a festive new year uh, right ahead of what is, um, you know, a very important time of year for their business tax season. So yeah, really excited to welcome them on board and um, going to be a great matchup through the big 12 and sec come January 4th at the 2021 Tax Act, Texas Bowl. Yeah, the, the only people you didn't think about, Fletch, were people like me that have to say Tax Act, Texas Bowl, because <laughs> that can be a little bit of a tongue twister. I know you can't give us the, the full behind the scenes of how things go on, finding a sponsor and such, but that process to me is, is really intriguing in finding the right fit for a bowl sponsor. How did that come about with Tax Act, getting involved. I know, like you said, they're doing some other things. And I've seen some people tweet about Tax Act being involved uh, in the college football world. But how did that really come to be that Tax Act stepped up and became the title sponsor of the bowl game? Yeah, it's a great partnership that we have each and every year with ESPN. I'm putting on the Tax Act Texas Bowl and a variety of college football events here at NRG Stadium. And, you know, when, when the opportunity arose to work with, um, with them, you know, they were coming in at a time where you know, they're a challenger brand. Uh, everybody's familiar with your, your turbo taxes of the world, but it's yep. a huge, huge part of, uh, of everybody's uh, yearly uh, planning. You got to get through the tax season in, in the right way. And, and they're one of the best in the business at it. And, and when you look at where bowl season is situated, uh, end of December, end of January, it, it's just a great fit for, for their brand as people have that, uh, that process top of mind. And um, they're coming in in a really uh, big way across the college football platform. Um, in partnership with ESPN to, um, to really uh, bring their brand to life through college football. And, and we couldn't be more thrilled to have them involved. Um, they've got Texas roots, huge office up in the Dallas area and, and, a, and a company that um, has, has served over 85 million customers just in the last 10 years. So, you know, we're excited to have a, a brand like that to help us elevate the experience for the fans and for the teams that are coming in come January 4th. And uh, it's going to be a great bowl season with them on board. It absolutely is Fletch. And, I want to start with the Big 12. The Big 12 SEC game, we've talked about that a lot. And last year, TCU Arkansas, unfortunately, uh, due to COVID, weren't able to have that game. And I think that would have been a really fun game and kind of a kickstart 
You want to have it again, Johnny? You want to have it again? Hey, <laughs> I, I, you know me. You know I take it. I absolutely take that game. Now, TCU's got some work to do, and they're working on that against Iowa State. But as I look through this, there's so many different tenets and things to consider. It's not as easy as saying, Fletch, who's going to be in the game? Because obviously the announcement's going to come uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday after championship Saturday. We'll get the announcement. But, Fletch, as I look at the possibilities, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, they're still playing for the big enchilada. I don't know if anybody falls, but I look at Iowa State at 6-5 and five playing TCU today. Kansas State lost their 7-5. and five. Texas Tech's playing Baylor at Baylor. That's going to be a tough one, but a loss even makes them 6-6. Six and six. West Virginia is playing on Saturday for bowl eligibility. TCU is playing that game against Iowa State to get bowl eligible. Unfortunately, Texas you know, fell apart at the end, but got a win to get to 5-7. and seven. So Texas and Kansas are the only two teams on the outside looking in as we sit right now. This thing, it looks like a mess, but it's kind of like, you know, my daughter, in some sense, I call her this. She's a pretty mess. Uh, and that's sort of a pretty mess in some sense in the Big 12. How do you make kind of hiding her hair of, of the possibilities that could be here in Houston on the Big 12 side? Well, I think you hit it on the head relative to the top of the, of the chart there. Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State uh, playing for a bigger prize. And, and congratulations to each of them on having a great season. We'll see how things unfold. Bedlam ought to be uh, a fun one tomorrow or yeah. tomorrow night. Um, yeah. As, uh, as, as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State uh, take on each other. But, yeah, as you, as you look at the rest of the Big 12, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of teams that are going to be available uh, in our mix when, um, when the opportunity for us um, to choose um, comes to us next Sunday. Um, certainly we'll see how the, the rest of this, the, the weekend plays out here. But, you know, you've got some teams in, in Iowa State and Kansas State um, that um, have, have, have had uh, – a little bit of up and down seasons so far this year. Uh, Kansas State losing uh, today to Texas uh, to close out the regular season. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got teams like uh, Texas Tech that have had a lot of turmoil as well uh, with a coaching change. Um, but um, and then and then TCU, West Virginia, we'll see how things play out. But really and truthfully, I mean, that, that there are some really good teams and some really good stories on each of those teams. Uh, just looking at them. You know, Kansas State is our 2016 champion here in Houston, uh, beating A&M in a great matchup there. Um, be fun to see the Wildcats back here. They've got a senior-laden team, and, and Chris Kleiman's done a great job rebuilding that program after some, some down years uh, following uh, Coach Snyder's departure. And, and then Iowa State, Matt Campbell's one of the best in the business. You know, started the year in the top ten. have had a really kind of crazy season, but, um, you know, beat Oklahoma State, giving them their only loss this year. And has played uh, really well in, um, in some big games. So, you know, they, they went wire to wire with Oklahoma and, and, uh, and Baylor as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see how those, um, uh, how their, their day unfolds. And, um, you know, Texas Tech opened up the year with a win right here in Houston in the uh, good Sam Texas kickoff beating U of H, giving them their only loss of the year so far. So, you know, I think Texas Tech, um, while, while certainly um, had, had a challenging um, environment middle of the season, ended up departing with uh, coach Matt Wells, you know, the energy around Joey McGuire and what they're doing coming out. If they can, they can beat Baylor tomorrow, boy, that would be a statement win to, uh, to finish up their year and head into the Joey McGuire era. So we'll see how it plays out, Johnny. But uh, one thing I know for sure is um, you never know until, uh, until you know <laughs> that's the way it works out. Yeah, man. When that ink is dry, that's what we'll say for sure. But I'll, I'll ask you this real quick, Fletch, my, my, 
my assumption is that you may not want the team that you had in Texas Tech in the kickoff and in the bowl, but a lot's happened with Texas Tech. It's almost like it's a different program. Would that preclude them from being selected, the fact that they did play in the, te- in the kickoff game to not play in the bowl, or is that not something that uh, is under consideration from that standpoint? You know, Jay, there's, Johnny, there's so many factors with, with trying to select our team uh, each and every year. Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned having the same team here twice in one year. That's it's not typically something that, um, that, that they try to do. But Texas Tech's a great brand. Um, they're very familiar with our market. Ton of Red Raiders here in Houston. Um, and, and like you said, they've gone through a bit of transition, a tremendous amount of energy uh, with, with Joe McGuire coming in as their new head coach. And, and, you know, if they are able to beat Baylor tomorrow, what a way to finish the regular season on a positive note. And as a, as a bowl executive, that's something you always love to see. It's a great combination there of a big fan base locally, finishing the season, uh, pointing up, and, um, and, and great familiarity with the market. So we, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, they're one of many great options for us on the Big 12 side for sure. Okay, let's jump to the SEC side because I called the Big 12 a pretty mess. If LSU upsets A&M, and Florida beats Florida State, and that game is in Gainesville, 13 of the 14 SEC teams will be bowl eligible. Fletch, I remember a lot of things about all these conferences. I don't know that I can remember a year when 13. Now, of course, LSU beating AM, I don't know. But you could, I could see Florida. Florida is favored over Florida State, as you sift through six and five and seven and four, or even seven and five in some cases, talking about Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina, all at six and five. Florida's at five and six. They would finish at six and six. They beat Florida State. On the flip side, Mississippi State finished last night at seven and five. Auburn, six and five. Arkansas, seven and four. And then you've got LSU uh, down there at five and six. And if they win, then they'll end up six and six. Fletch, how do you kind of sift through the SEC and what's going on. If 13 of 14 are eligible, what kind of options do you have there in the Southeastern Conference? Well, knowing, knowing my friends at the SEC and being great partners with them over the years, I think they would say they're just disappointed they didn't get 14 out of 14. Yeah, that's true. So, um, that's true. <laughs> but uh, they, they big road to climb for uh, Florida and for LSU to get there this weekend, but that's why they play the games. You know, as we look at the SEC, as a reminder, we do have that third selection on the Big 12 side. Uh, but on the SEC, we partner with the conference, and ultimately the SEC itself makes our selection. We're in yeah. that pool of, of, of seven bowls that um, make that uh, pool round up. So from our perspective, we'll see how the CFP plays out. I think there's a really good case that, um, uh, that uh, Georgia is, is probably going to be uh, playing in the playoff at some point, um, Alabama's got uh, that Auburn game uh, in, in the Iron Bowl tomorrow and then um, the SEC championship game against Georgia. And I think that those two victories um, are certainly important to their story for the rest of the year. And I think Mississippi, with their win last night, is definitely going to earn a New Year's six bid. Um, they finished a great 10 win season under Coach Kiffin. And, you know, gosh, I just. You, you look at how this has played out, Johnny. I don't want to be revisionist in any way, shape, or form. We all know we've been impacted by a variety of things we can't control over the last year and a half. But, boy, how much fun would that Ole Miss versus Baylor game been to start the year last year here in Houston? Oh, oh man. I mean, you see what the success of those two programs is now under Coach Aranda and Coach Kiffin. Um, boy, what could have been? But, nevertheless, yeah. um, 
you know, and then from there, it's, it's, um, it's a whole lot of teams that, that have had a lot of, of, of successes and, and some, um, you know, didn't do what they wanted to do this year. I think from our perspective, we've historically had great representation from the SEC West. You know, A&M is, is, uh, is the current reigning defending champion of the oh, yeah. Texas Bowl, having won the 2019 game against, oh. uh, <laughs> against Oklahoma State. But, um, you know, I, I think they're going to have an opportunity to play uh, in, in another market. They typically like to move teams around, don't like them to have back-to-back uh, appearances in a game on the SEC side. So Mississippi State, Auburn, Arkansas, you mentioned, was uh, our selection last year. Um, that, due to that game being canceled uh, because of COVID, we didn't get to see them and TCU take on each other. But maybe we get a rematch this year. What Sam Pittman's done has just been amazing to watch. You know, LSU's got a chance tomorrow uh, to to get back in the mix, and, and we all know how strong the the Tiger brand is here in Houston. And so that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And then looking at the East, you know, I mean, you've got teams like Tennessee that have never been down here, and and like Missouri, who was here before that. You know, I think uh, if, if they're able to pull off a victory over Arkansas, would have a pretty interesting case. Certainly Florida and South Carolina are more east-bound teams, so I, I think the likelihood of them being here is, is, is probably less than others. But, again, we don't have a, the, the, the say in that necessarily. And, so, and then Kentucky, you know, is going to finish up a great season under Coach Stoops. So, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of opportunities here uh, to get some really compelling matchups. Um, it's why we uh, it's why we wait in, on, on pins and needles every every year <laughs> this time of year to see how it plays out. And, and uh, you know, I'm really excited when I look at what um, what the opportunities are for us uh, with our game on January 4th. We've got a we've got a the, the last full season event of 2021. Technically, it's in 2022, but. We're the last game before the college football national championship game is played. Um, we've got a primetime window. We're the only game in town on Tuesday night. Um, and we've got a, a really great um, window for promotional support that um, will we'll tell a lot about our, our community. Uh, those games leading up on January 1st and Monday Night Football on the 3rd through our partnership with ESPN. So there's a, there's a really great story for the teams that could participate here in Houston. We've talked many, many times about – all the reasons why, why playing in this game is, is great for the institutions, whether it be the huge alumni bases, the recruiting, uh, the opportunity to, to be on the big stage here at NRG Stadium, and, and the Bull Week experience that we create for the families and the student-athletes. So all those things are going to be um, back better than ever, um, and, um, and our fan-facing experiences are, are going to add to the week that um, we've typically had in a big, big way, and we're going to make some announcements on those in just a couple weeks. So you know, it's going to be a fun matchup come January 4th. A lot to be done still, even though we here are at the 11th hour. But um, we're excited to see how things unfold this weekend and, and how, the, uh, how the cards may fall next weekend on Selection Sunday. Fletch, it's odd because the 2019 Texas Bowl took place in 2019. The 2021 Texas Bowl will take place in 2022. It's going to look like there's three years between games. And yet there was only one season that was actually missed, just uh, kind of a quirk of the schedule and quirk of timing. But I, I just like, wait a second, 2019 to 2022, man, it feels like a long time. I know that you got to be itching for a bowl game uh, to get back uh, what it is. I'm going to say this. I would love to see I, Iowa State would be the team that I would want to see. Now, I don't know if we'll see guys like Brees Hall and but they got like 26 or 27 seniors. That would be a heck of a way for them to go out. And I would love to see Iowa State. I'm going to just say right now, Iowa State, Arkansas, 
I would love to see in the Texas Bowl. Sam Pittman yeah. against Matt Campbell, Iowa State against Arkansas. I would put it. I would put it down right now. Now that would mean Arkansas would lose to Missouri more than likely. I don't know eight and four. You never know what can happen. But that's the one. I Iowa State Arkansas. I'm putting my stake in the ground. I don't know if I'm betting it, but that's the one I'd want to see, my man. Hey, you know what? I'd take that one in a heartbeat. Two great teams, two great brands. Be a lot of fun, but uh, they got some strong company around them. And um, you can keep all of the most up-to-date information to see how things are unfolding this weekend and next. TaxActTexasBowl.com. I know you said it's hard for you, Johnny, on the broadcasting side. I get it, man. But, you know, we got to pay the bills. And fortunately, we got a great partner to help us do that. And so TaxActTexasBowl.com. Make it simpler. Follow us on Twitter. You get great content. John Harris is a contributor to that site at Texas Bowl on Twitter. Great place for you to reach us. And you don't even need to go through the uh, linguistic gymnastics of having to say Tax Act Texas Bowl to get there. So it's going to be a fun couple of weeks, though, Johnny. That's for sure. Linguistic gymnastics is harder to say than Tax Act Texas Bowl. (laughs) I think you just you just you just handled all of that. I think in in one sentence, Fletch, uh, that's fantastic. Big week rivalry week this week, championship week next week and then sunday while we are entertaining the indianapolis colts we will get more than likely the tax act texas bowl combatants for nrg stadium january 4th cannot wait fletch you the best my friend happy thanksgiving and we'll talk to you again soon thanks so much johnny i typically say this after i talk college football with fletch i'm like man I could have talked all day with Fletch. Well, what you didn't hear was after I stopped the record button, we talked for another 45 minutes, I think, on everything going on in college football. Coaching openings, what the possibilities were for the Big 12 SEC for the Tax Act Texas Bowl. We talked about anything and everything for the next 45 minutes. I could have done this whole hour just on that conversation, but we got things to do, as in picking games. Every single week, I pick all NFL games straight up and against the spread, and it's brought to you by my friends at Caesars Rewards for every way you play, and that is next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. I want to encourage everyone to come check out our Battle Red Bash at NRG Stadium on December 4th. All fans are invited to meet Texans special guests, like Santa Toro and the Houston Texans cheerleaders. Enjoy some discounted holiday shopping and enter to win prizes. Visit HoustonTexans.com for more information. It is our Battle Red Bash at Energy Stadium December 4th. That feels like it's a long way off, but it really isn't, so make sure you get signed up at HoustonTexans.com. Welcome back to the show, a Friday edition and when I say Friday, it's about this time, right about now, it's time for me to do my game prediction straight up and against the spread. And they're brought to you by my friends at Caesars Rewards for every way you play. This is my favorite. I do it every single Friday, and I love it. Now, three games took place on Thursday. Bears beat the Lions in one of the most botched coaching problem decision-making situations ever. And it wasn't just the botched timeouts. One of these days, I'll tell you what exactly happened. Let's just say that 
it's not often remembered, but it's something that I can't get out of my head. And it happened in our game against the Titans in 2020, something Mike Vrabel did. And it could have helped the Lions on Thursday. But Bears win 16-14. My guess is they did not cover the spread. But the Bears got a win. Matt Nagy's still the coach as of right now. Um, so they get a win by two. Then the Raiders took on the Cowboys. I would have picked the Cowboys in this one, so I know I would have missed this. I just saw the Raiders kind of teetering on the brink with everything they've had going on, a three-game losing streak. No way they're going to Dallas and winning. And then they went to Dallas and won in overtime. Deshaun Jackson found the fountain of youth. He was absolutely fantastic. Hunter Renfro was just an absolute dude. And Derek Carr, I'm telling you, the most underrated player, most underrated quarterback in this league. I just don't get why people don't like this guy. 373 yards, a touchdown, led Las Vegas to a big win, 36-33. And in the nightcap, the Bills housed the Saints, 31-6. Josh Allen got back up on that bump and was ready to go. 260 yards passing, four tutties. Trevor Simeon struggled, a tutty and a pick. However, the news out of this game for Buffalo is not great. Tredavious White, Pro Bowl corner, lost for the rest of the year with a torn ACL, and that is a gut punch like you wouldn't believe. Holy smoke. So, unfortunate for the Bills, they get the win. What's the saying? They, they won the battle but lost the war, won the war but lost the battle. Either way, good news, the win on the road. On Thanksgiving, that's two in three years. They beat Dallas up in 19. They beat New Orleans up in 2021. But they lose Tredavious White. That's tough. All right, now it's time for Sunday and Monday's games. So cue up my music and let's rock as we go to start in Cincinnati. The Bengals, 6-4. and four. The Steelers, 5-4-1. and one. Cincinnati's favored by three and a half. So Vegas feels like the Bengals are just a shade better. You get three playing at home. They got three and a hook. I like the Bengals in this one. I just don't know what to think about the Steelers. I haven't known what to think about the Steelers all year long. But what I see from the Bengals, Joe Mixon crushing it. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, love it. Defensively, they've had some struggles. They lost to Mike White in the Jets. They've had some other moments where the defense has struggled. But I think, I think this is the week that the Bengals get it going at home and beat the Steelers. They won last week in Las Vegas. They're going to come home. They're going to get it done. I think they covered that three and a half. Bengals win. This feels... 31 to no, they're not gonna get 31 against the Steelers. This feels 24 17 ish, but I'm gonna go Bengals. I just don't trust the Steelers, so I'm not going with them. I'm going Bengals to win. This is gonna be a fantastic game at noon. A fantastic game. Jonathan Taylor and the Colts hosting the 2020 NFL champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay is favored by three in Indy. But Jonathan Taylor has gone wild. Five tutties last week. 
four rushing, one receiving in a blowout of the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Indianapolis is getting hot at the exact right time. Now, Tampa Bay hammered the Giants on Monday night, so it's a short week for Tampa Bay. Then they have to travel. I don't know if one day makes a massive difference, but that Monday night game, I always feel like it's going to trip a team up if they play early on Sunday. This is one of those situations. I can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm calling for the upset. Straight up upset. Colts beat Bucks. Taylor has two or three tutties. The defense for the Colts will make a play against Tom Brady, and the Colts get a massive win at home, an upset win over the Buccaneers. I know it stings to even say it, but that's what's going to happen. The Panthers then travel to Miami. Panthers have won three in a row. They beat the Texans and they beat the Ravens. And then last week, the Dolphins got it done against the team the Texans will face, the Jets. They beat them 24-17. Tua Tungavailoa has gotten two wins, one in a backup role, came in the game, got the relief closer save, and then he got the win against the Jets. What will he do against the Panthers with this game back in Miami? It's the first time Tua started in Miami in a little bit. The Panthers, Cam Newton, lost in Cam's start, but they are favored by two and a half. Every ounce of my being says to take the Panthers on the road. Do I trust it? Yes, I do. I'm going Panthers to beat the Dolphins and slow that winning streak. The Panthers will get to 6-6 six and six and be bowl eligible. The Dolphins will fall to 4-8. and eight, And the Dolphins will cover that 2.5. What a game this is going to be. The AFC South is playing some big-time games, not named Texans-Jets. Colts taking on the Buccaneers. How about Tennessee going to take on the hot New England Patriots? This game, if you put the spread on it three weeks ago, or even just two weeks ago, I don't think there's any way that New England is favored. New England's favored by seven. Patriots at home. Tennessee, this is the kind of game, though, that Mike Vrabel wins. Somehow. But not this time. Patriots are playing way too well. Mac Jones gets a win. I do think it'll be close. I'm feeling like 23-20. So let's take the Patriots to win the Titans to get inside that seven. Eagles taking on the G-Men in New Jersey. Philly's favored by three and a half on the road. Michael Irvin called a shot on uh, Thursday night a couple weeks ago. He said, keep an eye on the Eagles in the NFC East, and he laid out their whole schedule. And the Eagles then went out and beat New Orleans last week, and they've stayed hot. At five and six, the Eagles are right in this thing are right in it and they've got a boatload of first round picks too if they can get in the playoffs and then have all those first round picks my goodness look out for the eagles the eagles are five and six taking on the giants and i think the eagles are going to house the giants i think the giants are just mailing it in jason garrett oc is gone joe judge won't say who it is it's just kind of a mess to be honest so i'm going eagles to win and cover that three and a half on the road against the Giants. The Falcons, 4-6, and six, take on the Jaguars, 2-8. and eight. The Jaguars struggled with San Francisco last week as the Falcons got hammered by the Patriots, got shut out by the Patriots 
on the Thursday before. So they had the mini buy before taking on the Jags. Atlanta's favored by two in Jacksonville. I don't know that I like that. I don't know that I like it. I love it. Give me those points. Actually, I'm going to lay those points and take Atlanta to win straight up over the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Do us a favor, Arthur Smith. Go beat the Jags. Let's go to the afternoon games. Chargers taking on Broncos. Six and four against five and five. The Chargers are on the road. Chargers are favored by two and a half in Denver. And the Broncos are kind of like the Steelers. I don't really trust them. And when I say I can't trust them, it really means I can't trust the quarterback situation. But I do trust the quarterback situation in Los Angeles with Justin Herbert. How about Los Angeles has Matt Stafford and Justin Herbert? Wow, that's crazy. I'm going Chargers here. I know the Broncos can rise up, make a play here or there. Chargers defense didn't play great the other day, gave up 37 to the Steelers. But Herbo and the Chargers offense was outstanding. 41 to 37 on the Steelers. I think, even though the Broncos give it a little different look, if anybody's going to know that defense, it's Brandon Staley, who essentially coaches down the other side. The Chargers have Justin Herbert. That's enough. Win and a cover in Denver for the Chargers. Rams going to Green Bay. This would be a good one. Matt Stafford against Aaron Rodgers. The Rams. How about this? The Rams are favored by a point against Green Bay in Green Bay. No. It's essentially straight up. I'm taking the Packers to rebound after the loss to the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know what happened in that game. Lost 34-31. I'm taking the Packers to bounce back, beat the Rams in a close ball game. So I'm getting a point, but I'm also taking the Packers to win straight up. Vikings taking on the 49ers. This is a big one for playoff implication. Implications. Both teams 5-5. Five and five. Games in San Francisco. Both teams have kind of been all over the map, but the Niners have found the run game. And that's big. The Vikings had a highly emotional win over the Packers. I think it's going to play to the 49ers' favor. And the fact that Minnesota has to come to Santa Clara to take on the Niners. San Francisco's favored by three. I'll lay it. And I'm taking the 49ers to win straight up and cover the three. And Sunday night, oh boy, AFC North battle. Baker Mayfield's got an opportunity to win some people over in his locker room. That's been a massive issue, apparently. He went off the field after last week's win over the Detroit Lions and just went, eh, whatever, and left. I don't know if the players, I don't know how they feel about it, to be honest with you. But he's got to go to Baltimore and perform. It won't be enough, though. Baltimore's favored by three and a half. But I'm going to take the Browns to cover that number of the Ravens to win. This is 21-18. This is 2017. This is 27-24. It's a three-point win for the Ravens, which gets the Browns inside that number. And Monday night. Oh, boy, Monday night. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks go to Washington to take on the Washington football team. And it's even. Hey, man. Yuck. I'll take the football team. I don't know. Flip a coin. Let's go football team to win. And obviously it's even, so they'll cover as well. All right. We got to close down the show. And we will do that next with our good pal Jimmy Morrissey with Drew Doherty's final word right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. 
We got one final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access. A one day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, go get your sales and deals edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, finishing up six hours of radio today, as I said earlier, four hours on Friday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. My buddy Seth Payne stepped in the studio. That was fun to see Seth to talk and talk and talk and talk about whatever came to our mind. We had a, we had a pretty fun time. That was good stuff. So six hours of radio. I'm a little bit cooked. I won't lie to you, but man, I feel like I still got a little bit of juice. I got to save a little for Sunday. Kickoff is at noon against the New York Jets. Nine o'clock in the morning. Central time, depending on where you're listening. Nine central time. Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne will be back together to do pregame. You'll hear me. You'll hear uh, Mark and Andre. You will hear John McClain and any other guests that we can find. Then the kickoff, Mark, Andre, and myself got you covered through the game. And then Sean Pendergast and Clint Sterner will take you home, hopefully talking about a win over the New York Jets, which – Technically, they're in New Jersey, but I digress. But before we get into our Drew's final word with Jimmy Morrissey, I've got a quick question for all my Houston area teachers out there. I know a lot of you are always looking for different things you can bring to your classroom to help your kids understand math. Well, ConocoPhillips has you covered with Toro's Math Drills. It's a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. You go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Teachers, you can always use supplemental material no matter what level you are teaching. This is for third and fourth graders. Toro's Math Drills presented by Conoco Phillips. Now, Jimmy Morrissey knows all of his math facts. He is extremely smart. He was fun in Drew's Dozen. Let's hear how he does talking about the game. Here's Drew Doherty and rookie center Jimmy Morrissey. This pregame interview is powered by Reliant. It's Drew Doherty here with center Jimmy Morrissey. And Jimmy, is there such a thing as momentum coming off a win? And if so, how much do you guys have of it? And what's it been like this week? Definitely a thing of momentum, especially in the game of football. It's always good to come off a win, and, you know, you feel good about yourself, everything. Just a better mood around the facility. But we still have a lot to clean up. No doubt. This has been, a, I imagine, a whirlwind for you. Five weeks ago, you were on the Las Vegas practice squad. You just started the last two games at center. They've both been on the road. This is going to be your first home game here at NRG Stadium. What's this last five weeks, six weeks been like for you? It's been very chaotic, but it's everything, you know, being on the practice squad with the Raiders, it's what I wanted. I wanted an opportunity to play. Sure. And I, I said earlier in my press conference I had last week, it's been a dream come true. So I get the chance to play NFL football and actually have my hand on the ball in an NFL game and go out there and play. So it, it's been amazing. But it has been very chaotic and it's a lot of work. But I have a really good group surrounding me and a lot of people helping me out. You do have a lot of help. What's been the biggest challenge for you thus far? The hardest part is really transferring the playbook over. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have the Raiders playbook in my mind and now it's you know has to be hey 
now I'm running the Texans playbook. So just making sure I study enough and the playbook isn't really what I'm focusing on the huddle. It's more of the technique and what block I'm going to take opposed to who I'm going to block. Yeah, and as a friendly reminder to those listening and watching this time a year ago, you were playing for the Pitt Panthers. You were drafted in the seventh round by the Las Vegas Raiders. Your training camp, the preseason, then you're on the practice squad, and then the Texans snap you up in mid-October. You come in, and against the Dolphins as a as an offense, not just the offensive line, but as an offense, you know they get after the quarterback. Nine quarterback hits, five sacks, and then you guys flip the switch. One quarterback hit the entire day. No sacks for the first time in about a year. What was the difference? I think especially this past weekend it was nice because we had a lead, so that always changes the way you call the playbook. Also the rain game, it's very hard to drop back and throw a, <laughs> throw a lot. We had good communication up front, still a lot to improve, especially on my part. I need to play a lot better and did have good cohesiveness out there. Tyrod's been phenomenal back there. Yeah, you know, we, we just had a good game and lucky that our defense played amazing too. And as we were walking into this interview, Tyrod was coming out of another interview, said, hey, Slim Jimmy. So, you know, you guys always have a nice rapport there. Yeah, he calls me Slim Jim. Slim Jim, that's a good one. (laughs) Snap into a Slim Jim for all you Macho Man Randy Savage fans out there. You say you got to play better. What are some things you got to do better? I mean, you're you're so... You're still young in your NFL career. There's a lot you can do better, I imagine. What are some of the things you're trying to pinpoint and hone and get better at? I've been leaning a lot. i got to keep my head up. So that's really technique, what I'm focusing on. And then just processing faster at the line of scrimmage yeah. with this new playbook. And now, like you said, five weeks coming on. This is going to be my third start. Can't use that excuse. Any- I mean, not that it was an excuse before. But now I'm going into my third game. And, like, it's not, oh, I'm new. I just got here. Like, right. that's out the door. So it's time to start, you know, performing like I know I can. Tell me about this Jets defensive front. Now, as a team, they're, they're struggling too, but you can't really pin on those guys. That defense looks like they can do some things up, up in the trenches, can't they? No, that, that D-line especially, those two interior guys, four interior guys that they rotate in there are very impressive, especially, you know, number 95 and 94 really are their starters. But when they rotate in 98 and 97 too, they're phenomenal too. But, yeah, their, their starting D-tackles are really good, solid players, and I'm excited to play them. All right, now let's see how you're powering game day. Do you have any superstitions getting ready before game? I did. They usually change like with every season. This year, I really don't have any superstition. I just take my little scoop of caffeine and uh, my protein powder. Mm-hmm. But then other than that, I really do not have a game day suspicion. In the past, I used to always listen to the Jersey Boy soundtrack. Okay. Uh, how come? I just I don't like getting all hyped up before the game. Oh, I do have a pregame tradition. I do mindfulness. So I have this like guided meditation for okay. 15 minutes on Spotify. It's like one of my few saved things on Spotify, no matter if I have Wi-Fi or not. Interesting. Um, right. So I just sit in my locker and I practice mindfulness and then try to visualize the game. So like 15 minutes of just doing nothing but breathing. Fantastic. What do you do the night before? When do you go to bed? How long do you sleep? When do you get up? I try to go to bed early, depending on when meetings get done. Bed check's usually at 10. I try to like as soon as bed check's done, I'm, I'm right in bed. And that's usually late for me because on weekdays I, I try to go to bed around 8.30, 9 o'clock. So, and then I like to wake up early, take the first bus. I just like to be at the stadium for as long as I possibly can. You want to be prepared. Yeah. I like it. It's good. Jimmy Morrissey, best of luck against the Jets. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving as well. Happy it's been Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving this week, okay? Thanks for having me, Drew. I am truly optimistic that we're going to have an opportunity to see Jimmy Morrissey play a lot of football here for the Houston Texans to grow off these first two appearances. I mean, he's had to face Raquan Davis and Jeffrey Simmons, Naquan Jones in his first two starts. And it doesn't get much easier because Quinnen Williams is coming, Folu Fatakasi. It doesn't get easier for Jimmy Morrissey. Now, one thing we will keep an eye on is the status 
of Justin Britt. We got the notice on Thanksgiving, I believe it was, that he has been brought back to the 53-man roster off of injured reserve. We saw him at practice today. That doesn't mean that Britt will start, doesn't mean he'll play, doesn't mean he'll be active. It just means that he is now in that 21-day window for which the Texans will then have to make a decision. So we will see Justin Britt's status. But I like what I've seen thus far from Jimmy Morrissey. And any rookie that is coming to the party that is showing some promise, I want to see more of that particular player. Man, it'd be It'd be interesting to see Morrissey and Britt play together, maybe one at center, one at guard. But we'll see how the Texans figure it out and what they're going to do on Sunday against the New York Jets. A reminder, pregame show 9 to 12, Sean and Seth. Game call, Mark, Andre, and myself from noon until game is over. And then when it's over, Sean and Clint Sterner have got you covered on the postgame. Drew Deepy, Mark, myself, everybody in our content team will have stuff for you, HoustonTexans.com. We'll have you covered all day long, all weekend long on the Houston Texans and their matchup with the New York Jets. It's going to be great to be back home. Come on out, have fun, and enjoy this football team that has gotten better week by week, and hopefully we'll put a W up on the board. And it's been a while. I did the math on this. Over the last 369 days, that goes all the way back to a victory against the New England Patriots on November 22nd. So if you want to start November 23rd and go all the way till Sunday, that's 369 days. Over that time span, the Texans have won one game at home. That was the opener against the Jaguars. Let's go get number two. And with your help on Sunday, I know these guys will show up and show out and get win number two. It'll be two in a row. It'll be the second win at home. A lot of good things happen when you get in those seats and you are loud and you create that football feeling for these guys on Sunday. A big thanks to Jimmy Morrissey, to Drew Doherty, to Mark Vandermeer, to David Culley, to DP City, Tyrod Taylor, to Robert Harris Jr. back in studio. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you all very much. See you Sunday at NRG Stadium. And as always, go Texans.